Good morning. Good morning. We are at week seven of hearing about Israel's experience in the desert. Of course, it's a total of 10 weeks, and a 10 actual weeks in the desert is decidedly different from reading about them. And the Israelites, we might remember or recall, were in the desert for 40 years, which is a lot longer than 10 weeks. Personally, I have been to the desert only once. I had the great privilege of going to Israel many years ago and of visiting the desert while I was there. But my experience was nothing like the Israelites. I arrived and left in a very nice travel bus. We had plenty of food and water. We were close to the road, so while I could gaze at the expanse of the desert, I knew I would not be overcome by it. I was a tourist or a pilgrim visiting the desert. I was not required in any way to go into it or to live there. In your imagination, picture a desert. Imagine miles and miles of sand on every side, the horizon far away. Hot sand under our feet and a blazing and bursting brutal sun. Imagine the expanse of the stars and a warm fire in the chill of the night. Imagine a constantly changing landscape amidst rocky mountains formed over centuries. Now imagine a people so desperate to escape slavery that they cross a mighty river and run into the desert. What were their hopes and dreams about what might happen next? What did they think would happen when they got there? The people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt for so long that they had forgotten all of their ancestors, including Joseph. Lifetimes were spent under the oppression of Pharaoh. And so the way of life that they knew and remembered depends solely on the whims of a tyrant. Now, now they must learn to live in the mercy and grace of God. They are learning to trust and depend on the faithfulness of Yahweh. Moses is becoming a leader who must depend on God's wisdom. It is a lot of change. I mean, a lot of change. Such a tremendous amount of strong and holy work in a land that is built and made by and fraught with risk. Chapter 19 of Exodus tells us that the people arrive at Mount Sinai on the third new moon. So let's imagine, for the sake of ease, that they've been in the wilderness for about three months, give or take 12 weeks. Here, God begins to make a covenant with them. I wish that we read some of these stories on Sunday morning. Ten weeks is enough. Dean Mo. Yes, I know. But still, listen to what 
the writer tells us about arriving at the base of Mount Sinai. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, as well as a thick cloud on the mountain, and a blast of trumpets so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, while the mountain shook violently. As the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak and God would answer him in thunder. I mean, can you even begin to wrap your head around what that experience would have been like? Thunder and lightning and trumpets, a mountain wrapped in smoke. Is this why Israel went into the wilderness? Did they go into the desert seeking the holy? I don't have any idea what the Israelites thought or imagined freedom, freedom from Pharaoh would be like. Did God bring them out of Egypt into the wilderness to reveal the holy to them? For you see, this is exactly what happens. God comes so close to them, and they come so close to God. Imagine. Imagine the holy. God coming so close to us. Us coming so close to God. And God speaks. Moses stands before his people and says, Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Israel is no longer under the rule of Pharaoh. They are the people of God. And everything that they know about their lives, including where and how they live, is changing. They serve God who gives them new life. Now we know them as the Ten Commandments, not suggestions or really good ideas. (laughs) These are life's imperatives from God. And again and again, people ask Jesus about them all the time. And every time, Jesus says something like, Love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And these verses are given to the people of Israel, to the disciples, to us, as God's ways. This is what matters most. That these commandments come from God. God who made us, sustains us, and redeems us. Nothing about these ways is easy. For example, you shall have no other gods before me. I mean, that feels relatively simple. I think if we took a poll, we'd all agree that we worship one God. Yes. Of course, I feel like I should sit with this one commandment every day of my life. That would be enough. Because I am doing just fine. 
until I begin to worship the gods of perfection or consumerism or success. Okay, so what about, what about this one? Uh, you shall not murder. Well, that, that seems relatively easy. I don't have any desire to kill someone or go to prison for murder, except for that one person. <laughs> right? I mean, what about those times when I would like to lash out to the very one who has hurt me to my core? So one more, just for fun. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. This is my favorite. Or male or female slave. Or ox. Or donkey. Or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So let's continue to list for just a moment. You know you've already gone there, right? Your neighbor's house. Or their boat. Or their money. Or their job. Or their education. Or their ability or even their sense of style. I mean, this commandment does more than just hold us accountable. It invites us to consider our neighbor. Not for the sake of comparison, but for the sake of God's redemptive activity that is happening all around us in the world. The heart of these commandments is remembering Remember who God is and who we are. God is God and we are not. And God delivers creation from all that enslaves and oppresses us. God's ways of liberating love is hard, holy work. Now, as I meditated on Exodus this week and the people of Israel and these Ten Commandments, The word that continued to rise in my mind and my heart is the word oppression. Because you see, what do I know about oppression? I've never experienced the trauma of slavery. And it feels pretty disingenuous of me to compare the oppression of my desires with the cruel realities of captivity. God liberates the people of Israel from the tyranny of Pharaoh. And yet, in the desert, they confront a new oppressor, the tyranny of their fears and desires. God gives them a new life, and now God gives them a new way to live. My friends, we serve a God who sets the captive free, beginning with enslavement. Only then, after the people are free from a system of oppression, can they begin to serve God. Free from systems of injustice, they are made ready to serve God's grace and mercy. This love, God's love, demands that they align themselves with God's redemptive activity for all of us. Loving God with our whole lives and loving our neighbor as ourselves is hard, holy work. It is more than turning away from our desires. We must also examine how our lives, our ways, 
reflect systems that oppress and exploit our neighbors. Our freedom is not ours alone. Our redemption is for the sake of the whole creation. We must use God's ways to align our lives, our whole self, with God's grace and mercy for all of creation. Only then, only then, do we get a glimpse, a momentary vision of the depth and the expanse of God's love for all of creation. So my prayer this week is may we hear God's voice and follow God's ways to freedom. May we align ourselves with God's desire for mercy and justice. May God come so close to us and may we come so close to God in the hard and holy work of God's liberating love.